Hello and welcome to another episode of Paddock Pass Podcast. With me are... Neil Morrison from Crash.net and Road Racing World. And Tony Goldsmith from Asphalt and Rubber and Bike Sport News. And my name is David Emmett of Motomatters.com. We had quite a race at Tarragon. Um, the, not so much a race for the lead, but uh, behind the race there was lots and lots of action and, and, and plenty happened. So, um, your thoughts, Neil? Yeah, I thought it was an excellent, very exciting race. Uh, we had three great races yesterday, actually. Um, the the kind of much hyped Marquez Lorenzo showdown didn't quite materialize, and I think after the the second lap and Mark fell, there was a danger that we thought, oh God, this is going to be another Lorenzo romp in the sun, which it was to an extent. But thankfully, there were three battles behind uh, behind the leader that were really entertaining and kept us on our toes all race long. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, the, once Lorenzo had disposed of Marcus, because I think he uh, he really did sort of sucker him into into pushing too hard and, and crashing out. Um, then it was just fantastic, be uh, fantastic behind him. Uh, Ian only trying to push um, uh, Pedrosa and Rossi uh, get, first getting past. Ianoni, and then really having to fight tooth and nail to uh, 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 for for second, be, uh, and four very very important points for um, uh, for Valentino Rossi, and then uh, behind that there was just battles all almost all the way down the field. Yeah, there was a five rider battle for fifth place, um, which was entertaining because it just involved a Suzuki, a Ducati, a Yamaha, Honda, uh, four different types of bikes, four different characteristics, all kind of working in different ways having advantages in different parts of the track. Uh, and then we had, I think, about a six or seven uh, rider dice for the, the top open machine, which was uh, eventually won by Eugene Laverty for the first time this year, which is great to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the it, 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 Yes, as you say, the battle for fifth was very was interesting precisely because uh, of all the various uh, machines going each uh, against each other. Bradley Smith was uh, fascinating about that, about... Uh, um, you know, he learned a lot just from watching the various, the, the, how the various other other bikes operated, and it, it's something to learn for for the next races. But of course, the battle of the battle of the race was definitely Danny versus Valentino. Exactly, yeah, and around the track that that Danny, Danny usually excels at, um, we saw really one of his best performances in several several years. I would say um, he was yeah inspired. Um, his late, you know, kind of question marks have remained even since his operation earlier in the year. As to whether his um, his arm is is you know still giving him some issues if he's playing down um, the issues that he's having with you know the arm pump, but from what we saw yesterday, it seems to the the operation he had earlier in the season seems to have corrected it. He was absolutely on it on the last lap, and you know I thought rode really brilliantly to to resist Rossi for a long time and then to respond where he did um, was was very very impressive. So yeah, it was kudos to Danny. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, it, it took a really long time after Pedrosa came um, uh, after he came back from surgery. First of all, he took a long time off after uh, after Katai coming back at even missing Jerez. So he didn't come back until Le Mans, uh, and it took him you know four or five races races to start to show it. He started showing a little bit at the Saxon ring, but we kept on waiting to see you know. Is is it over for Danny with his, um, uh, you know, with the arm pump? We kept wondering: is, is it really over for? Uh, for are, are Danny's problems really over with the arm pump? But that was a straight up battle. Uh, he beat uh, Valentino Rossi straight, uh, you know, fair and square. And I think the most interesting thing was that for the first time, he was doing exactly what Rossi has always done and what Marquez has always done, which is when you get past, you don't 
bide your time and wait to try and pass back. You hit them straight straight away as it's your best opportunity as they've had to go offline to to try to get past you. And, uh, and the, it, it, it's at their weakest moment and so it, your best opportunity to get back. And every time Rossi was back, uh, went past, uh, Pedrosa was back again, you know, next corner. Yeah, and I thought he did. I thought he did a really good job on uh, in the final lap. Rossi went by him at turn four, uh, which kind of leads into turn five. A couple of times he had done that before and run wide. Pedrosa responded straight away, but in that occasion, Pedrosa just tucked him behind him and lined him up for then turn seven, which was further around the lap. So he, in that really important moment, he kind of kept his cool. He knew what he was going to do. He was thinking ahead. He had obviously thought through what was going to happen. And he executed that move fantastically. Yeah, exactly. I, think I mean, that was he, the move of the race. Yeah, absolutely. He was expecting he was expecting it, and he'd made another plan, a second plan, which uh, you know, he's still uh, to me. Danny Pedrosa is is probably, and it sounds strange to say this, I think Danny Pedrosa is probably the most underrated rider on the grid. I think also look at the other Hondas yesterday, and you see just what a fantastic job Pedrosa did. Um, obviously, Marquez tried to run the pace at the front crashed out early on uh Crutzel, i think was some more than 20 seconds behind pedroza and then scott redding was a further 20 seconds back of uh, of cal so you could see yesterday that what danny did was really yeah you know, e exceptional yeah, yeah yeah absolutely exceptional um uh, going to mark's crash um i i mean i have a theory i think i really do think that um uh, Jorge actually suckered Mark into it just by pushing really hard from the start and I looked at the timesheets and he actually ran the same uh, pattern uh, during FPT2 on, on, on Friday afternoon where he went straight out of, the, out of the pits and was hammering out really, really fast times right from the... Uh, uh, even on his outlap, even on his outlap, he was almost on record pace, uh, and that was uh, he had his, I think, his fastest third and fourth sectors on the first lap. Yeah, yeah, yeah which and then his fastest first and second sectors on the second lap. Yeah, yeah, which shows you how hard he was pushing that yeah. uh, that, that very first lap. So um, exactly, yeah, yeah. I think as you pointed out to me yesterday, you said he had done this in FP two. He had you know practiced going flat out as soon as he exited pit lane, and I kind of went back and looked at his FP two times, and I think on his final run. Uh, in FP2, there was one outlap where he exited pit lane, and uh, in the second sector, he was something like eight tenths slower than his fastest lap of that section. Then the third sector, it was like 0.3 slower, and then the fourth sector, 0.1 slower than his fastest time. So, yeah, as you said, he'd been building up to this all weekend long. I was kind of surprised. Usually, you see Lorenzo in some free practice sessions doing a big long run. Yeah. In this one, he was doing four or five laps at a time coming in. He was obviously playing around, perfecting his settings after the test, testing that Yamaha had done at this track. And um, yeah, that was something that he was uh, he was focusing on. Um, yeah, I think I think the test clearly helped because it meant that they, he didn't have to go out and do the do spend time on the long runs. He could actually work on a little bit of race strategy, which is which is what worked. Exactly. Tony, did you see much of that battle? Well, yeah, it's interesting to to hear you guys talking about the race because um, a race for me is, is a completely different experience to, to to what you get to see. Obviously, I rush down onto the grid, hustle around the grid. And then it's all about trying to get to the first section I'm going to take photographs at, which would, which we yesterday was the first corner. So um, as they came round on the second lap, obviously, I went, oh, oh so third lap, well, Marquez has disappeared. Something's happened there. Um, and then waiting for a shuttle into the shuttle bus, which started to take me back to the paddock. Uh, thankfully, there was a Spanish-speaking gentleman in the, in the bus with me. 
Um, and we, we got the girl turned around. I had no idea what she was doing. The, the race had started. She probably wanted to go back to the paddock and watch the, uh, well, maybe, watch the race yeah. on TV. So, so yeah. did I. But, <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, I, I, I couldn't. So, um, yeah, and, and then... Yeah, I think my, my perspective on the race, it's very difficult to try and get a clue of as to what is happening. It's, it's all about get to a point, take some images. Hopefully there's a shuttle bus coming if I, as I don't generally have access to a scooter. Mm. Uh, and it's about trying to get to the next point. Um, yeah. So it's difficult to get an idea of what's what has happened. Um, you can see if bikes, are, if, the, if a group has formed and they're coming round lap by lap together okay so something must be interesting happening there uh, but unfortunately each section i went to it was there was nothing really of in apart from you know, stock yeah. there's nothing really of, of interest i didn't uh, there were no crashes there, there was, was no no, crashes. no, uh, no spectacular overtakes in, right in front of you, you no were... unfortunately not no but um luck is a big part of uh, uh, of photography as well in that it, it all, absolutely well, to that extent yeah, you have to be prepared to make the image but yeah. the image uh, if the image doesn't happen in front mm. of you for, yeah, for, for me, a race is, it goes by so quickly, it's about trying to get from one point to the next to try and get as much variety in your images as you can. And then, of course, you need to try and get back in time for the podium celebrations. Ideally, if you can, you want to try and get back to photograph the winner going over the line. That's not always possible when you're reliant on either your feet or shuttle buses. Yeah, because running up and down um, Aragon would be quite a, uh, quite the chore with, with 20 or 30 kilos of uh, a foe. Uh, yes. It takes an awful long time to walk down that back straight. <laughs> I got halfway down it yesterday and thankfully uh, a guy appeared with a, with a shuttle bus and he was determined to get me back to the start. He wasn't <laughs> hanging about. Um, and I, at that point, I didn't actually know how many laps we had left. I, I assumed we were maybe down to the last lap mm. I got him to drop me off just uh, so I could get across the track in, into pit lane. Um, turned out there was still maybe two or three laps, so I maybe could have got myself somewhere else for the finish of the race. But uh, no, like I say, listening to you guys talking about it, uh, I look forward to, to getting home and actually watching Watching yeah. the action, particularly the, the Rossi and Pedrosa battle in yeah, the, the last few laps. Rossi and Pedrosa, d definitely one for the uh, one for the ages. One we're going to be talking about for a long while. Also, because of the implications it has for the championship. Yep, exactly. Um, when Marquez crashed, I thought this was a dream scenario in several respects for Rossi because he therefore just had Pedrosa to overcome, um, could limit the damage so to speak, to five points, which wouldn't be a bad day at the office at one of his, well, probably the weakest track for him. Um, of the of, remaining five, of yeah. Of the remaining five, yeah, exactly. Um, but that four points that, uh, that Rossi lost there in that final lap, I think, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's quite quite sizable. Now, 14 points with four races to go, uh, you know, Lorenzo definitely has the speed to to beat him in every race. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 once again, that was what Marquez said uh, again after this race, that um, he had the speed at Silverstone. You know, L Lorenzo was faster at Silverstone. Lorenzo was faster at Misano. But Rossi still came out ahead. Yeah. You know, Rossi took advantage of the of the circumstances. I wonder if Valentino went to find Mark at the end of the day and shook him by the hand for uh, for, for gifting him a few extra points. Uh, Lorenzo or, 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 or Rossi ought to, th ought to thank Mar Marquez for the, for the extra points. But I think if... Uh, I think if Marquez had stayed with Lorenzo, I think this is the reason why why Lorenzo pushed so hard. Because if Marquez had stayed with Lorenzo, then there's no no way of knowing for sure that um, uh, the, that Lorenzo could actually beat him because because Marquez in the morning warm up was really really fast. 
exactly. Yeah, he was. He was. Um, perhaps a little bit of uh, inexperience on Marquez's part because he didn't need to. He didn't need to close Lorenzo down straight away. You know, he could have tried to manage that gap to keep it at one second. I think it was half a second whenever he fell, and he was just going hell for leather. I was watching the splits. I think Lorenzo finished the first lap six tenths ahead. Then by the time Marquez crashed, it was down to four tenths. So. He didn't necessarily need to, to yeah, go he, he so was pushing, quick. Yeah, he's pushing he, on. I think. Well, that's the trouble with being a, a very young, very fast champion and a very, very ambitious champion. Exactly, it, it, it pushes you, uh, pushes you a little bit too, too far. So. Exactly, but I mean, I think um, it might have been either Friday or Saturday. I'm not quite sure. Lorenzo said he felt like he was approaching kind of perfection. Yeah. Rossi also said that on Sunday. He's riding as well, if not better, than he was in 2013, where I thought he was showing his you know his absolute best form um and you know since the summer break rossi said on friday that his concentration and his motivation is just such that every session he's there he's either first or second i don't think you know in free practice he's been outside the front two if he has it's been maybe on two or three occasions yeah i think especially lorenzo's concentration because dry struggle. sessions i should add yeah, yeah yes sorry. yeah as long as long as it's dry his concentration is is just outstanding this was i mean i, I had a long co- uh, chat with wilco zielenberg after the uh, after the race and um he was basically saying that what because lorenzo is basically living right on the limit every centimeter of every lap you can only do that if you know where the limit is and that means you need predictable circumstances when you're changing um when so you know grip is changing when it's wet dry one of the things that he said was also at um indianapolis where uh, he had the same problem because in indianapolis grip changes from corner to corner and so it's really difficult to judge uh, judge the grip perfectly in every corner and uh, again that was a track where uh, where lorenzo struggled or struggled more than uh, uh, didn't dominate, perhaps sure, is what we should sure. say, given his uh, given his form. Yeah. Do you think there was any element of um, home home race pressure for Mark, uh, pressure from the home fans to perform? I don't think Mark needs any extra pressure to perform. I think he always, always, always wants to win. Um, I think he's just the most appalling loser and um re- like all good motorcycle races i mean uh, uh, valentino rossi will always smile and shake the uh, shake the winner's hand afterwards but you can see in his eyes that he's not enjoying it he wants to win everyone wants to win you could see an element of that yesterday in part for me when the cameras were on him um one thing I don't understand when uh, I'm hovering around Pot for me is the clamour of photographers or shouting riders' names for a thumbs-up picture, which to, to me that's not a, a natural reaction. I want to try and capture a natural reaction, and I was trying to capture the reaction of Rossi, which was head down, um, staring out into space, obviously thinking about... Uh, the, the impact on the, on the championship for him. Maybe even thinking about to, back to last week and should I have come in uh, earlier and would have had a much much bigger cushion coming into these last few races. Yeah, that's the interesting thing because the, the things that you get to see are the bits that, I mean, we sitting up in the media centre, you know, we're watching the TV. My wife once said to me, so your job is you fly around the world and then sit indoors and watch, to, watch TV. Yeah, that's... A large part of it, but um, uh, the um, stop making us sound like nerds, David. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as you say, we are we're reliant on what the camera t- on the on what the director shows us, and when you're actually down in Park Ferme, I mean the, the Park Ferme has been ruined a little bit because um, uh, 
uh, you're not allowed to shoot from uh, amongst the amongst the teams or from from the front as the as the riders actually come in and see see their reaction. So you're stuck with the team's reaction because. Um, one particular MotoGP team decided that they didn't want um, uh, the photographers among it. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that... Uh, it, it is interesting when you're in these situations to, 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 to gauge the genuine reaction. Yes. And try and capture the genuine reaction, not the forced one which a lot of photographers seem to want. Yeah, Thumbs exactly. up, bottle of Thumbs water up. bottles in the air, and yes. that's not for me. I don't try and capture that moment yes. at all. The, I want the, the I'd like to thank my sponsors moment. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, perhaps that's just because I don't come from a pressure of, of photographing for those teams, and I can capture, try and capture what I want to capture. Yeah, exactly. You don't, you don't have to get the correct energy uh, energy drink uh, logo on the picture. Exactly. Yeah. So, in terms of championship fellows, do you think then is the pendulum swinging back in the Reigns of Fever? Tony. Oh, there's the million dollar question, isn't there? Um, if we look back at the the last two races prior to this one, um, Lorenzo was. The fastest guy out there and uh, didn't adapt to the the weather conditions as well as everybody else so perhaps he would have already been at, in the lead of the championship anyway but uh, you obviously have to ride to the conditions that everyone else is presented with um you would have to say it looks as though the momentum is in lorenzo's favor despite the the gap in points that Rossi had managed to build and it's coming down, but Lorenzo has been the fastest guy out there for the last handful of races. Yeah, absolutely. But um, uh, I think yes, as long as everything, as long as Lorenzo has predictable grip, he can win everywhere. Um, if he doesn't have predictable grip, then it's a little bit more difficult. It's more difficult for him to to actually ad adapt to the conditions. He can't use his strength, which is riding perfectly, whereas Rossi's strength is adapting, you know, ad adapting to, to the conditions. I went through the list with Zielenberg of the, of the races left, and um, although Wilco didn't see this, he just he just nodded as if he as if he was agreeing with me. So um, he, he might not necessarily agree, but he uh, it, it looks like you would put. Um, Lorenzo, or give you would give Lorenzo the advantage at say um, Mategi. He's won there. Um, Philip Island, fifty fifty. But even then, I think I would just give a slight advantage to to to, uh, to Lorenzo. Although that's one of the circuits that won't have the ice treatment on the tires. Yeah, but it hasn't stopped him previously before. True, you know, true. it's a, it, it's such a it, it's like Mugello. Yeah. It's such an abrasive tire, uh, 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 or such a such a. It's a circuit in which the tires are stressed so much that the tires work without it, yeah. as long as the uh, as long as, as long as the weather's there. Mm. Of course, uh, it is a weather lottery, Philip Island. Well, this is this don't is, know what's going to throw up. This is exactly it. If the, per if the if the conditions are perfect, you would give you know at least three of the four races to uh, to, to to Lorenzo, but. Um, Mategi, uh, was it two years ago that Mategi was rained off and uh, we missed? The, the, they had to cancel a day of uh, a day of practice, and we only basically got a little bit of qualifying, a warm up, and uh, uh, and the race. Uh, Phillip Island. Well, even last year there was no rain last year, but the temperature dropped ten degrees in uh, well in about twenty minutes between the start of the race and the end of the race, yeah. and the asymmetric front went from working to not working and and dumped everyone on the ground. Uh, Valencia. It can be a lottery. It can be dry. It can be bone dry. It's always a little bit cold, but it can be, it can be bone bone dry, or it can be showery and changeable. And uh, uh, and Sepang, there's always the chance of the downpour. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
But it's worth saying, Rossi, again, he has an off day and he's still on the podium. Yeah. You know? So yeah. you have to imagine that those will be limited. Um, yeah, exactly. I think this is going to be another year where the, the, the champion is not necessarily the rider who actually has the most uh, the most wins. So personally, uh, who, who is my bet on, the, uh, on for the championship? I'm not risking my money on anything quite so, uh, uh, quite so dangerous. I, I would agree with you completely. I think there's too many twists and turns still left to go. And Mark Marquez is going to possibly have some say on the, the final destination of the championship. You're a bunch of girls, boys. As I'll put my money on Rossi. I personally would like to see Rossi win it, not because I'm a Rossi fanboy, but because I would like to be involved in the paddock in a year that he potentially gets his 10th championship. I think it would be a great thing to be a part of. I don't care who wins. What I want is for it to be the, the championship to come down to Valencia. Yes. I want to go to Valencia uh, with one rider leading because the other thing is, I think. The rider leading always has a really, really tough race at Valencia. You remember uh, uh, Rossi was leading at, leading at Valencia in 2006. He managed to crash out. Um, uh, Marquez was leading going in 2013, going into Valencia, and he had a really, really tough race. And uh, Lorenzo rode such a fantastic race there as well. I think also one of the best of his career in really difficult conditions, putting a lot of pressure on Marquez, trying to get other riders involved. So it's just, you know, it's a recipe for a fantastic race. So as long as it comes down to the last race, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm perfectly happy either way. I would think that the owners of the Valencia circuit would agree with you, David. They, <laughs> think- they will be eyeing a sellout. I think uh, I, I would. I think you're completely right. On to the battle behind um, the podium. Uh, for me, ride of the well, yeah, basically ride of the weekend was was Andrea Iannone coming in fourth because he dislocates his arm on I think Monday, and by you know on on Sunday, less than a week later, he's 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 very close to the podium. Uh, uh, with a very weak shoulder. Yeah, and whenever I first heard about him getting injured, I assumed that he had fallen and and twisted his shoulder or something like that. But it kind of showed the delicate nature of his of his current of his current physical state. That it was just I think he said he tripped and he naturally put his arms out in front. He didn't even fall, and as he kind of like put his left arm out to you know to, to stop him falling, that that's when the dislocation occurred. So it was uh, yeah a strange injury. Yeah, well, strange, but also, I mean, it shows you how damaged that shoulder already is. He said something about having seven, I think, seven fragments of uh, yeah. of, of cartilage in the in there. So basically, the moves, yeah, that's right. And the tendon is moving, and so there's uh, all of the little bits of sort of wiring which hold hold the shoulder joints together are very, very, um, very, very weak and painful. It'll be an injury that, uh, of course, he'll be concerned about, as we we all know from from past. Uh, once a, a shoulder pops out like that it can keep reoccurring you see numerous incidents of sportsmen who once it's happened twice it can keep happening on a regular basis yeah so well you look at ben spees basically ben spees uh, career was ended as a result of uh, of a shoulder injury the, the the shoulder is one i ben spees to me ben spees injuries was was quite interesting because it made me do a little bit more research about um uh, the mechanics of the uh, of the shoulder and it's because it's such an amazing joints because you can move your uh, 
you can yeah you can move your shoulder in all sorts of different directions that makes it incredibly fragile so it's all held together with cartilage and tendons and if any of that gets damaged then it becomes very very painful and very weak yeah you look at rossi in 2010 he yeah. had that motocross incident injured his shoulder and he wasn't right he wasn't in full form even after he came back from his leg break uh, later in that year yeah i mean everyone remembers the fact that he broke his leg but really the fact that he broke his leg was not that important the much much bigger impact was the shoulder that was that had a much bigger impact on that year i think yeah and and well just as we saw in in le mans and then Mugello earlier in the year just after ian only had dislocated his shoulder for the first time he came back you know all guns firing really strong race again and just continuing to impress this season really has come such a long way as a as a full top class motor grand prix rider absolutely it's almost as if the injury has taken because before he was always a little bit wild a little bit over the edge and having to be um carrying the injury he's having to take that little bit back so he's not riding 101 percent, but at 99.9 percent, and that's the difference between being really competitive and and uh yeah slinging out the road a little bit too often exactly he's always been strong at Aragon. we need to say that uh, yeah i mean yeah, i think he won there the first year moto two he dominated there uh he was on the podium the year late the year after that um was challenging for the lead early on 2014 and crashed out um quite quite badly um you know so it's worth saying that you know this is going to be a strong track for him um but nevertheless to be able to to ride i think he had an anesthetic injection before the race his shoulder was more or less pretty numb he told us after the race um and yeah i mean at one point he, he just he clearly he had a very clever plan which was just hold on to rossi and pedroza for as long as possible and in the worst case scenario i'll be fourth and with them you know kind of trying to hold on to them he managed to establish enough of a gap to Davizioza behind him to have a comfortable race you know we're in the final stages when he did get a little bit tired his physical condition went down a bit he could kind of relax yeah he still had plenty of buff, uh, buffer for, uh, to uh, to his teammate yeah. behind him yeah so um uh, yeah i mean ian only has really come through as a uh, as a rider i mean he showed talent when he was on the speed up in moto two yeah. if you look at the speed up in moto two um recently again there's only one rider who's actually doing anything on it and that's sam lowe's yeah the rest are all cruising around in the, in the back yeah and um uh yeah what he did on the speed up showed that that you know he was overriding the bike he was he was getting more out of the bike than was than was actually in it exactly i mean the result sheet might make pleasant reading for davizio so he qualified 13th and ended up fifth a good result but to finish 17 seconds behind your injured teammate Hmm. That's a really that's a, that's a big gap. That is a big gap. It's interesting to to compare and think back to earlier on in the year when we were talking about Davizioso as a, a genuine title contender. Where Ducati had come back with yep. a with a what looked at the time like a great bike. Yeah, fantastic results at Qatar. Fantastic results at uh, uh, was it uh, Austin or Argentina? Both. Yeah, seconds in each race. Yeah, yeah, and in Le Mans as well. Obviously, yep. another second place or third place there. Sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you, you, you see Davizioso now and the, the smile that was there uh, is not quite so regularly apparent. No, exactly. No, they are clearly, I mean, yes, clearly they're, they're, running, they're running into problems. I think we had a question from Twitter on that. We do. We, uh, uh, from ILM MotoGP and they asked, why have Ducati struggled to match the pace of top guys? Is it tyre issue, chassis related? Well, I think the... Um, 
it's a it's an interesting question. What the what what the Vicioso always says is that we started off really really well, much better than expected. But as the season progresses, the Hondas and Yamahas have, have just got better. So uh, whereas they they made a much bigger step forward at the, at the start of the year than they were expecting, and have not made the the the, the kind of progress that the that the Yamaha and uh, and the Honda have uh, have done. Because if you do if you look at the second half of the season, you know it's all about the the, the Hondas and the Yamahas. Um, but Ducati still have some problems. They the their biggest problem was the understeer. They've solved the understeer now. The bike will turn, but to gain the turning, they've had to sacrifice a little bit of uh, braking stability and a little bit of corner, um, uh, a little bit of feel in the corner, a little bit of uh, um, uh, mid mid corner speed, and that's been less. That's been much much um, uh, something p- that Dovichosa in particular has struggled with. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think also, um, you know, you could just, I wasn't at the Sepang test at the start of the year, but just reading what Davizioso was saying, the fact that they cured the understeer and he, he saw that it was cured as soon as he exited pit lane. Yeah. That was such a boost. That was yeah. such a morale boost to the whole team because for four, four seasons, they had been trying to solve this issue and whatever they tried, it wasn't, you know, nothing, nothing succeeded. Yeah. They, they finally managed to do this. And really, you could just sense that there was such a great lift from yeah, exactly. that itself. I remember David Chiesa saying at the, uh, uh, at the test, saying um, he turned into the first corner, he tipped it into the first corner there, and he ran across the inside of the kerb because uh, he was expecting to have to force it around the corner. He tried to force it around the corner, and the thing just wanted to turn all of its own accord. So, uh, um, yeah, it was. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. It was just a massive morale boost. Yeah, exactly. And you know, as you you've already touched on, like David kind of is alluded to the, the first couple of races being a bit of a smokescreen. You know, that wasn't really Ducati's true level. Ducati's true level is where they are now. Yeah. You know, um, maybe it was the boost with the, the solving of the understeer that took them forward at the start of the year. Also, Pedroza wasn't there. Honda were struggling more. You know, Rossi, he said, was only at, you know, the true level of what he's at, uh, of, you know, his true level of potential. Yeah, clearly. And I mean, uh, clearly Lorenzo's got better during the year, but Marquez, I mean, they didn't solve their problems or the, the worst of their problems until the Barcelona test. Yeah. So that was the first six races, what, six, seven, eight, yeah, six races that, um, uh, that Marquez wasn't at, at, at the level that he was expecting to Pedrosa was away for most of those races so yeah I mean it, it was a little bit of deceptive the, the, the Dresmo Sedici GP15 is clearly a much much better bike but it's still weaker in some in some areas yeah and I guess that kind of differs with both riders Davizioso was saying earlier in the year that uh, he suffers a little bit with braking stability kind of on, on corner entry mid corner um, and it's something that when he can get right he can kind of run with with Ian only but when it's still there, when it's still a problem, he suffers uh, quite a bit with it. Yeah, um, I mean, the, it, it's clearly a contrast in their styles. Um, uh, Dovichoso is is one of is perhaps the latest breaker in the paddock. He can break harder than anyone else when he's got the right package underneath him. But he gets off there, he, he breaks late and gets off the brake and gets into the corner. Whereas Ianoni is a lot smoother. Um, even though, again, Ianoni is one of these riders like Marquez who is actually really smooth uh, in all of his uh, actions on the bike, but it never, doesn't look like it. It looks like it's a complete mess, but his actual uh, physical uh, operations of the bike is incredibly smooth. Uh, I think Cal Crutchlow was, t- was telling us once that Iannone, he could, he'd seen Iannone's data, and what Iannone was doing was breaking deep, very, very deep into the, uh, into the corner um, and opening the throttle while he was still on the front brake and then releasing the front, bro- uh, front brake, all in a single really, really smooth 
beautiful motion. So uh, yeah. that's that's part of the secret of his uh, of his speed. And that's natural talent right there. That is that is yeah. that is absolute most, natural talent. Most normal people can't even comprehend no. how they do that. I mean, I've ridden a motorcycle, and for me, it was like oh, corner, <laughs> oh, accelerate, and I can't even begin to imagine how they can just wind a throttle on in the way they do. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I still think generally positive for Ducati. You know, the last couple of years they've had one huge issue, which they've kind of take, they took a long time to deal with. This year, Davizioso said that there's little things that they need to just tweak, you know, and really it's going to take just experience, a year of experience, building up data and, and tweaking all those little things. Exactly. The, the, the elephant has been removed from the room, but that doesn't mean that the room doesn't still doesn't need a little bit of tidying up from what the elephant has left. Um, the uh, Right, on to Suzuki, because, the again, the Suzuki's uh, were... Really impressive, but their, their best race since Barcelona was what Alicia Spargaro was saying. Yeah, well, Alicia's best race, you would have to say, because Maverick, yeah. on, on the contrary, had a bit of a nightmare weekend, really. Yeah, it, it was interesting, the contrast, because uh, Alicia had found um, uh, speed, he'd found grip, he'd found drive, he'd found front-end feeling, and Maverick, all Maverick talked about all weekend was, I've got no grip in the rear, I've got no gripper in the rear, I've got no grip in the rear. It was interesting, because you could see that from the body language whenever he was getting off the motorcycle and pit lane that he wasn't happy the, right. every time he got off the bike it was kind of a the shoulders would drop and he would kind of look back towards it and then walk in rather than a confident Alace who just gets off and w- walks straight into his his garage and you could see clearly see the difference between the two riders yeah i think it must be difficult also when one rider is when things are working for one rider and not for the other because you know that they, they, there's something in your setup something new that uh, that it's not working for yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, it, it's, it's always easy to say this, but I think motivation has, has, you know, quite a lot to answer for in this respect because, you know, you could see, um, I read an interview with David Brivio um, recently. He said, you know, the, the, the Alish that they saw in the garage at Indianapolis just wasn't the, the Alish they knew. The Alish yeah. that was there at the start of the season fully motivated to, to really work with this, uh, with this project. The kind of lack of updates coming through maybe played a part in that as well. Um, but this weekend, um, Alish was 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 there. He was willing to talk. He was, you know, he was full of life. You could see, got it, got that kind of sparkle back. In exactly. Alish is the kind of person you want to pay, play poker with because um, you could absolutely see exactly what he's got yeah. in his hand. Yeah. You'd, uh, you'd, you'd make a fortune. But um, one thing that was interesting about um, before the before the weekend, we looked at well, any anyone that looked at the the, the layout of the Arakan track would look at the exit of the bus stop chicane and think, oh, God, that's not good for yeah, the Suzuki's exactly. characteristics. But then in the race, Cal was saying that he was losing, you know, a couple of tenths every lap on the exit to the bikes that he was battling with, which was Spargo Suzuki and the Ducati, obviously. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the uh, uh, the general consensus on the Ducati was it was a rocket ship, and um, uh, I think LH was saying that basically after as soon as they they selected fourth gear, the Ducati was gone, was a long way down. But for the Suzuki to actually be because the Suzuki was not beating the um, uh, um, or it was not being destroyed by the Yamahas, it was not being destroyed by the Hondas, it was it was it was matching their pace, and uh, I think Alesh also said that he was getting a little bit from the from the draft from the from, from the uh, from the from the slipstream of the Ducati it gave him you know two or three k's but though the two or three k's were the difference between um just losing touch and 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 sort of staying uh, staying in that group but yeah. uh, he had front end feeling he had uh, grip he had lots and lots of grip and acceleration yeah. uh, Suzuki bought a new engine and new exhaust, exhaust. um both riders said 
I couldn't feel the difference, but I think there must have been a difference there. There must have been a slight difference, although you look at the time, um, the speed uh, trap speeds, and I think Alex was still around 15 kilometers down on Ian O'Neill's fastest speed of the weekend. So, yeah, it wasn't a big difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't think it's fair to compare it to uh, to, to the Ducati, yeah, though. No, that's true. basically uh, the, the 12 million horsepower uh, uh, bike. Exactly. But there seems to be some progress made with, with, with rear grip, with edge grip, um, which I think the guys at Suzuki were saying should bode quite well for Mateki. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it, the, the improvement was not just sort of top end power. It, it was just everywhere, which meant obviously a bit more grip, which is really going to help out of those uh, out of those slow, slow corners there. No seamless shift gearbox for Suzuki yet. Uh, not yet. I believe that they are due some updates at Mategi. Suzuki will be bringing some updates at, uh, at Mategi, a new engine again. Um, I think a slightly bigger step than they had here. But um, whether it'll be seamless or well, the, the, the seamless could be a long time. But what we do know is that the, the seamless gearbox has been tested. But the trouble with the seamless gearbox, well, the trouble with any gearbox development is if uh, an error with the gearbox locks the back wheel. Uh, if your engine seizes, you have a, sort of a few milliseconds to whip the clutch in and, and save the rear from, from, uh, from locking up. Uh, which is what the old two-stroke riders used to do. They would basically ride with one finger, with the clutch almost engaged, um, uh, to whip it in as quickly as possible. But on a gearbox, you, you, there's nothing you can do. If the rear locks up, that's it. You're going to the moon. Into orbit, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Right, well, thank you for listening to Paddock Pass Podcasts. The, uh, we had some more questions on Twitter. We'll be answering those in the next edition in a week or so. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Paddock Pass podcast. You can find us on Facebook and you can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to leave a review on iTunes as it helps other listeners find us. Thank you and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the pissy pants podcast. Right, try again. Thank you for listening to the Paddock Pass podcast. You can find us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash the hyphen paddock hyphen pass hyphen podcast. You can find us on Facebook or you can find us on iTunes or you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Please remember to leave a... Please remember to leave us a review. Thank you and see you as next... Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Should we leave? Let you do this? <laughs> no, 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 no. I can't keep a straight face with all the hyphens. Exactly. <laughs> I, I lose it at hyphen, paddock, hyphen, pod, hyphen, pad. <laughs> yeah, it is, is a pain in the ass, that one. Um, in fairness, that one is actually quite difficult to say. Soundcloud.com forward slash the hyphen, paddock, hyphen, pad.